Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. We hope these messages encourage, convict, and inspire you to love and follow Jesus more faithfully as we seek to saturate our city with the hope of the gospel. Our online resources are meant to serve you, but they aren't a replacement for the face-to-face relationships that we were built for. So we really hope that if you're in Owensboro, you'll join us in person on a Sunday morning. And if you live elsewhere, you'll find a local church in your community where you can put down roots and find family. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc. A few weeks ago, we were getting ready for bed, and it was a big night in the Norris home. We were transitioning our son, Link. Uh, I think you'll see his picture here on the screen. Uh, Maybe. It's worth it, I promise. There he is. See, we were waiting for that awe moment. Uh, so that's Link. That's my wife, Taryn. Uh, he looks cute, but the whole candlelight service, he took that little battery-powered candle and was trying to set my beard on fire. It was, I was like, Taryn, do not give him a real candle. I will die. Um, but anyway, uh, so we were, uh, we were transitioning him from his crib to his toddler bed here just a few weeks ago. And so those of you who have been through that may know where this story is going a little bit. Um, one of the things that Taryn and I have found most, I guess, sanctifying is the Christian way to say it. Um, Absolutely frustrating is probably more accurate. Uh, one of the most frustrating things about parenting that we found is the second that you start to feel like you've kind of got it figured out, like, yeah, we know what we're doing. We, we're pretty good parents. Something changes and flips everything upside down, and you realize, actually, no, we have no idea what we're doing at all. And so that's kind of what we ran into. Link had been a pretty good sleeper up to that point. And so I'm thinking this transition is going to be no big deal. Yeah, I read a few articles on the internet. I talked to a few uh, other parents who seem to know what they're doing to get some advice. And uh, we, uh, we got our game plan together. Like, hey, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're not doing. Here's the exact plan we're going to follow. And it's going to lead to success tonight. And so we thought it was going to be easy. Fast forward to 3 a.m. We are in a full-blown hostage negotiation. Like, <laughs> he's at the door screaming. We don't know what to do. Like, we're trying to negotiate with him. Like, we're bribing him with everything from, from ice cream and slushies to a trip to the actual moon if he will just get in his bed and go to sleep. And it's just not working. And so, you know, we're, it's, a new, it's a night in a new bed. Everything's uncertain. He's kind of scary. We didn't want to rush too quickly into discipline with that. So we're just, like, trying to figure out how to incentivize him to go to sleep so that we're just not completely undone. Because I don't know about y'all, but if I don't get my sleep, it's not good for anybody. And so uh, we're trying to figure out how to get him to sleep, and it's just not working. If you've ever tried negotiating with a toddler, you know the struggle. Like, you've, you've already lost. And so finally, we come to terms, and uh, he agrees that he will lay down in his big kid bed if daddy will lay in the floor next to him and comfort him. And I think, okay, I got this. Uh, I will just lay down on the floor. He'll go to sleep. Once he falls asleep, I'll get up. I'll sneak out. I'll go back to bed. Everything will be fine. Well, that didn't happen. So he, uh, I mean, he was like sound asleep. He'd literally be snoring. And I'm like, okay, he's down. I'm going to get up. And the second, I wouldn't even move. I would just think about getting up. And it's like, no, no, go, Daddy. I'm like, oh, my gosh, are you serious? Like, I didn't even move. How did you know I was about to get up? I mean, his sense of perception was amazing. And so finally, I just, I just give up on sleep. I'm like, okay, this is not working. So I just lay down. I'm cold, face down on the hardwood floor. I take some of his dirty clothes, and I, like, pile them up like a pillow. And I just resign. This is, this is just not happening. And so I'm just completely frustrated because things are not going the way that they're supposed to. And I realized there was absolutely nothing I could do about it. Have you ever been to that place of despair? When things aren't how they're supposed to be, and you realize that you can try and you can try, but it's just not going to work. There's nothing you can do. 
In Revelation 5, the Apostle John is faced with that reality, and it completely undoes him. He's given a vision of heaven, and he gets to see the future toward which the entire creation is heading, a vision that I think is is both really challenging, but also filled with a lot of hope uh, for us as we step into a new year. But there's a problem as he's entering into the scene. So we're going to encounter that here in Revelation 5, verses 1 through 14. Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So in this scene from Revelation, John gets to see what's coming. He sees heaven. And at the right hand of God, he sees this scroll. So so what's up with the scroll? It's kind of an important thing in this story. What is the scroll? When you read Revelation, there's a lot in there, right? There's some crazy stuff. It's hard to understand. A lot of apocalyptic imagery. And it's like, there's horns and spirits and all these eyes. What is that about? So there's all this imagery that's hard to understand. And it's, a lot of it's very symbolic. And it's, it's hard to get. But, uh, but the point of the story is Jesus. And you always have to keep that in mind in Revelation. That's, that's the main point is Jesus is worth. Um, but, but as we see this image, the scroll is a really big deal here. And so we aren't told for sure what the scroll is, but the consensus among people who are a lot smarter than me that have studied this a lot more than I have, uh, commentators, they, they say that the scroll contains God's plan of redemption for his people and the final restoration of this broken world. So it's kind of like God's end game to finally fix this thing that's so messed up and, and make everything new. And so God sees, or John sees the glory of heaven. He sees God on the throne and he sees his purposes ready to be fulfilled. He sees all these wrongs in the world ready to be made right. And yet nobody can open the scroll or even look into it. It says nobody on heaven or on earth is worthy to unroll God's plan to save the world. So John starts weeping. John is weeping because this world without a savior is a pretty hopeless place. 
But then one of the elders says in verse five, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David is conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So, so John is weeping, yet there's hope. The passage starts to build, like he's weeping, everything's in despair, it starts to build. We hear about this lion of Judah, this root of David that, that is conquered. So the, the lion of Judah, that's a reference to Genesis 48 or 49. It, uh, it refers to the Messiah. So all the way back in the Garden of Eden, you see mankind messes things up, we sin, we break the world, and yet there's this promise all the way back in the garden that there is a coming head crusher. Someone will one day crush the head of the serpent and fix all this brokenness that we see around us, this promised king, this Messiah, would be coming to redeem and restore his people. And so this warrior king descended from the line of Judah, this lion of Judah would come, and he would overcome Satan's sin and death and rescue his people. And so it says this lion, he's the root of David. That's a reference to the prophecy in Isaiah, saying the Messiah descended also from David. He would come and be the root or the source of all of the blessings that would come to God's people. So we see this Messiah, this root, this lion in verse five, he's coming. And because of his worth, he is able to open the scroll and its seals. This promised king, he's come and he's finally going to come in power and open the seals and unleash God's plan of redemption and usher in this end game and to right all of the wrongs that John was weeping over in Revelation 5. And so we see it building and building and building until finally in verse 6, we see him. This lion steps into view in verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. This is one of the biggest plot twists in history. We see this mighty lion that had been promised. The lion steps into view and it's a slaughtered lamb. That's not at all what was expected. Have you ever spent much time around lambs? I mean, they're delicious on a mutton sandwich at moonlight, but they're not exactly impressive creatures, right? They're pretty much the opposite of this mighty conqueror that was expected. The lion steps into view, and it is a slaughtered lamb. Revelation 5 tells us Jesus is the only one who's worthy to open the scroll. And the elder says it's because this conquering lion is also a slain lamb. Jesus's victory came through his sacrifice. John Piper puts it this way. The lion gets the victory through the tactics of the lamb. Because Jesus is a lion-like lamb and a lamb-like lion, he has the right to bring the world to an end for the glory of his name and the good of his people. So Jesus is both a lion and a lamb. It's really important that we hold these two truths together because that's, that's essential to understanding Jesus. He is the conquering king of the universe. He's all powerful. He's fully God. He's the lion of Judah, and yet he's also a lamb that was slain. His glory came through humility. His victory came through death. He is a suffering savior. He was crucified, scripture tells us, as a sacrificial lamb to atone for our sins. Yet he's a lamb in Revelation 5. We see standing. He's a lamb that was slain, but he's standing. He is standing in victory. He was crucified, but death wasn't the end for him. He was raised on the third day in power to conquer Satan's sin and death. And this sacrifice, the lion who was slain like a lamb, he was raised to stand in victory. And that is why he is worthy. The lion 
who made the world and everything in it was the lamb who laid down his life for sinners like you and me and redeemed the world that he made. The lion who had all power and authority was the lamb who embraced weakness and suffering and service. The lion who is absolutely pure and holy and righteous is the lamb who pours out his love on sinners. The lion who lacked nothing was the lamb who gave us everything. Jesus is the lion and the lamb, and he is worthy. So in light of this worthiness, as we prepare to step into a new year, I wanna spend the rest of our time here this morning looking at three ways that this worth of Jesus changes everything in Revelation 5. First, Jesus's worth turns our weeping to worship. Verse three, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. So John, at this point in his life, he is the last living apostle. All of his friends are dead. He's been exiled to the island of Patmos and the Roman Empire. They are persecuting and killing the church that he has given his life to proclaiming. Everything's falling apart around him, and there's so much suffering and death in the world. And in this moment of what I would imagine to be despair, he gets a glimpse of heaven, and he gets to look and see what hope there is still in God's plan to save the world through this scroll, and yet nobody's found worthy to open it. He gets to see, okay, everything's falling apart, but let's look and see what God's going to do in the end, and yet nobody's worthy to make any, any difference here. He's probably thinking, man, I mean, really, God, is this what it's all been for? Like, after all that we've been through, all the persecution, all the suffering, all the, all the missionary journeys we've taken, after how faithfully we have followed you, has it all been for nothing? Like, this scroll can't be opened? You ever feel like that? Like, you, you scroll through social media or, or the news or whatever, and it looks like the world is just falling apart, and it's just getting worse. Maybe this Christmas has been a hard one. There's drama in your family, or maybe you lost your job, or a loved one got sick, or, or maybe you're dealing with grief, and there was an empty chair at the dinner table for the first time this year, and it, and it feels like things are kind of spiraling out of control, and, and you try to, try to suck it up and power through, and, and, but deep down, you feel a little bit helpless because there's this hole, and it seems like you can try and try, but there is nothing you can do to fix it. Something's broken and there's nothing that can be done about it. And so you can identify with the psalmist in Psalm 42. And he says, my tears have been my food day and night. Like I'm just weeping so much. I'm like just eating my tears. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? That's where John is in this scene. And yet in the midst of this despair, there's hope. Verse five, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more, behold. Stop crying, John. Look, there is one who is worthy. Look to Jesus. The, the elder doesn't just say, weep no more. He doesn't say, suck it up and get over it. He doesn't say, try harder, do more, just get on with your life. He says, weep no more, behold Jesus. When we are weeping, when we're in despair over the pain and the brokenness of life, behold the lamb. Look at Jesus. Remember his victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and right every wrong. And Revelation tells us that he's surely going to do it. 
It doesn't feel like it in the moment, but, but it's going to be okay. Jesus turns our weeping into worship because there's hope. He's going to open the scroll. He will restore the brokenness of this world. No more sickness, no more death, no more injustice. Jesus takes the scroll in Revelation 5, and then we see the whole passage shift into a series of songs that are sung. The people of God start singing out in worship, and then then all of heaven joins in, and they start to sing that song as well. And then all of creation joins in and begins singing that Jesus is worthy of blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The world without a Savior is one filled with weeping, But because of Jesus, it will be one filled with worship as he wipes away every tear from every eye and makes all things new. So what are you weeping about today? What are you anxious or or depressed about? If you're being real, there's there's some stuff there, I'm sure. I think we all have it. I've got that. What are you trying to carry alone? Is it suffering? Is it grief? Is it a sin struggle that you you can't seem to break and you're just broken over that? Is is your marriage falling apart and, and no matter how hard you try, you just can't seem to get things back on track? Guys, in your own strength, there's no hope. Just weeping. But through the power and the worth of Jesus, there is joy and victory. So weep no more, behold, Look to Jesus. The lamb has overcome. Death is not the end. The wicked will not win. There is hope for every broken relationship and you don't have to do it on your own because Jesus has already won the victory so that you can trust him and worship him because he is worthy. So rest in him. Trust in him. Seek help from his people. If all of this is new to you and you don't really know this Jesus or know what we're talking about, we're going to have a time at the end where you can come and talk to some people. Uh, come talk to somebody. Like We would love to, to show you what it means to find joy in this Jesus. Because as John demonstrates, the world without a Savior is a pretty dark place full of weeping. But in Jesus, there is hope and joy and purpose like you can't imagine. So, so when we are weeping, look to Jesus. So Jesus' worth turns our weeping to worship. Second, Jesus' worth brings us together in radical unity. Verse 9, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So Jesus is worthy because he's that slain lamb. And yet it says his blood ransomed people from every tribe and tongue. So the word ransom, uh, if you've never seen an action movie, it's, uh, it means to pay a price to release a prisoner. So if you watch the movies, you see the bad guys, they kidnap somebody, they, they leave a ransom note. Hey, if you pay this amount of money and give me a helicopter so I can escape, I'll, I'll set the prisoner free. And then Liam Neeson ignores the note and goes and takes him out and gets his daughter back. Um, or if you watch The Office, the ransom was the pizza coupon that Michael Scott was holding the delivery guy hostage over. So if they honored the coupon, he would let the delivery guy go. Uh, that was the, the ransom. The ransom that Jesus paid, the price to set the prisoners free from sin and bondage, that ransom was himself. The blood of the lamb was the price to set the prisoners free from every tribe and language and people and nation. So you see, it's a, a global ransom. 
It's a ransom for all peoples. And verse 10 says, he took these diverse people from all over the planet and he made them a kingdom. Now note, it doesn't say he made them several kingdoms. A kingdom, one people, the church. There's not a, a black church and a white church and a Czech church and an American church. There's, there's one church. Jesus has one bride. He's not a polygamist. The blood of the lamb broke down all the barriers and ransomed people from all nations and made them a kingdom and priests. Guys, multiculturalism isn't just a fad or the trendy thing right now or a way to push a certain political agenda. It's the beautiful reality of God's kingdom. Yeah, good things can always be twisted into false ideologies, and we have to be wise and discerning and guard against that. But we also have to be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Unity in diversity is a picture of heaven. Jesus didn't just come for white middle-class Americans. He didn't come to redeem Western culture. Revelation 5 is clear. The church is made up of people from every tribe, tongue, language, people, and nation. Every skin color, every accent, every socioeconomic class, people from both sides of the tracks. Now, I think this is one of the reasons that racism is such a terrible sin because it's a rejection of the diverse kingdom that Revelation 5 says that Jesus died to ransom. Galatians 3.28 says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. The blood of Jesus has made us one in Christ, but our, our divisions and our prejudices deny this glorious truth. So don't try to rebuild the walls of division that Jesus' blood tore down. This must be a church that reflects that coming kingdom. The church should be the most strangely diverse place in our city. And one of my favorite things about Pleasant Valley is that I think we're off to a great start in that. Like I love looking around this room and seeing diversity. I love seeing black people sitting next to white people. I love seeing people that speak Spanish, sitting next to people who speak English, people who speak Creole. We've got people from Nigeria, people from Haiti. We've got people from Ecuador, people from all over the nations. We also have you know, socioeconomic diversity. We've got people of great means and wealth. We've got people of not very much means and wealth. We've got doctors sitting next to drug dealers, and I think that's beautiful. Why? Because I think that shows that Jesus is worthy. He is worthy of us getting out of our comfort zones and joining hands with people who are different than us, because I think that gives him glory. Where else do you see that kind of diversity? In our divided culture, everybody kind of huddles up in their tribes and yells at each other. In the church, we see people of all different kinds coming together. Why? Because Jesus is worthy. When we look around at our world that's so divided, that kind of unity and diversity screams the worth and the glory of Jesus. When people see our church, may our diversity shout the worth of Jesus to the world and tell them that he is Lord because his blood has ransomed us into a people. And the one thing that brings us together is 10,000 times stronger than all of the things that would try to tear us apart. A few months ago, we had a visitor here at Pleasant Valley. Uh, his name was Oscar. So Oscar was from Hungary, and uh, he was in Owensboro for a couple weeks on business. He was doing some consulting for a local factory. And so uh, he came and visited. I was able to connect with him and, and uh, talk a little bit. So we invited him to come to our community group uh, the next day. And so uh, 
it's funny, Oscar, he was staying at the that new hotel up there by Hobby Lobby. And so he just hopped on uh, Google and looked for the closest church to his hotel because he was a Christian and wanted to worship on Sundays. Uh, so Pleasant Valley popped up. We're the closest one. So he came over. And uh, so he came to our community group the next day. And so it was really cool to get to know him. He, he came two weeks. We got to spend a good amount of time with him. Um, and when it came time for Oscar to leave and to go back to his country, uh, we asked him, hey, what was your favorite part of being here in the United States? And we thought, ah, maybe the, he'd say the food or maybe not the food. I don't know. Uh, we thought it'd be something cultural. He said his favorite thing was finding our church and spending time getting to know us because he said, these are my people. Now, how in the world does that make sense? These are my people. He, he's not from here. He, he grew up on the other side of the world. Like, he is different from us in nearly every way. He grew up in a post-communist culture with an extremely different worldview, raised totally differently, doesn't speak our language natively, a whole different cultural experience. He's different from us in nearly every way imaginable, and yet he says that we are his people. How can Hicks from a small town in Kentucky be his people? Because Jesus has ransomed a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It says he made us a kingdom and priests. Oscar knew before he's a citizen of Hungary, he's a citizen of the kingdom. Our identity as citizens of God's kingdom is deeper and stronger and truer than anything else about us. And that bond of blood that ties us together allows us to stand united when the whole world is tearing itself apart. So Jesus's worth turns our weeping into worship. It brings us together in radical unity. Finally, Jesus's worth sends us out on global mission. Revelation 5 shows that, that reaching the nations has always been God's plan from the beginning. He ransomed people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. We, we talk a lot about missions and church planting here at Pleasant Valley. We've set a goal through our next initiative. We want, to we want to send out five new international missionaries to the nations over the next few years. We want to plant three new churches over the next few years. And, and we, we're serious about that. And we set those goals, not just because it's cool or trendy or it sounds good when you're trying to raise money. No, no, that's been the mission of our church for 17 years because that has been God's plan for the church from the very beginning. John says in 2021, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. We are a sent people. We are called to be a people to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and to make disciples of all nations. Why? Well, John Piper, he's got a book, a really good book on missions called Let the Nations Be Glad, where he examines the heart behind global missions. And the, the big idea behind his book is this. Worship exists, or missions exist because worship doesn't. We go to the nations because Jesus is worthy of the worship of every single person on the planet. He's worth more than the worship of every single person in this room. Jesus is worth more than the worship of every single person in Owensboro. He's worth more than the worship of the American church. He is so worthy that he deserves worship from every man, woman, and child, from every tribe, tongue, and nation across the planet. And therefore, we must go on mission because Jesus alone is worth it. So how do we do that? Well, I believe that every Christian is either sent, sending, or sending. You're either sent, you're called to go to the nations yourself, or you're sending, you're called to stay here 
would be a strategic part of sending other people out to the nations as you seek to redeem people here in Owensboro, or you sit on the sidelines and you're sinning because the Great Commission is not optional. So you're sent, you're sending, or you're sinning. Those are your options. And, and we have confidence in this, though, because of what we see in Revelation 5. We see that God is going to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So, so they're, they're there. When you read Revelation 5, you see all those people. It's not that God just hopes they show up someday in Revelation 5, or he, he really wants to save people from every tribe, tongue, and no, he has saved, he has ransomed a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we see them in Revelation around that throne. Like he's actually going to do it. He's gonna do what he said he's gonna do. It's a done deal. This year, we sent Dr. Conrad Cross to Central Asia to a country that is very close to the gospel. Their Christian ministers aren't allowed to come in, uh, but he, he's able to go in under a medical visa. And so he, uh, he's able to go and reach these unreached people groups there. And so, so he's giving his life to going into this unreached context for the sake of Jesus. Now, why in the world would he go to a place like that? I mean, unreached places are unreached for a reason, usually. Like, if we couldn't get there in 2,000 years, there's probably a reason. Like, there are typically political barriers or cultural barriers. It's unsafe for Christians to go in. Like, the, the government won't let you go in. There are reasons unreached peoples are unreached. And yet, Conrad is giving his life to going to one of these places where we've never seen fruit before. Why in the world would he do that? Well, because if, if the Bible's true, Revelation 5 says that, that when he goes to this unreached people— there are going to be people around that throne from that language and people. So, so Conrad can go in confidence knowing that God has people there that he is going to save. Conrad's just going in faith that, that Jesus is going to do what he said he's going to do. And so, so he's staking his life on that. Conrad is the first of the five that we are sending out prayerfully over the next few years. Who's next? Who else will go to the nations? Earlier this year, and Taryn and I, we went to the Czech Republic to spend some time doing soul care and investing in uh, Josh and Marie Ellers, our, our missionaries over there in the Czech Republic. And so we hop on a plane, we, we fly across the world, uh, we, we get over there, we land in Prague, and then Josh shows us like the whole city. So we were really tired <laughs> getting off the plane. And so, uh, so we hop on a train and we finally get to Olomos, the city where they're, uh, they're planting their church and doing, doing missions. And so we get to Olomos and we check into our hotel. It's actually, it's hard to see, but it's like right there. Uh, so we check into our hotel and, uh, and we're sitting there to take our passports back to like scan them in and get us, get us signed in. And uh, so we're, we're standing there waiting and this, uh, this young Czech woman walks out and uh, her name is Elise. She comes out and she goes, um, excuse me, you are from Owensboro. I was like, yeah, is there a problem with the passport? She goes, no, no, um, I've been to Owensboro. I'm like, really? Owensboro, Kentucky? Like, seriously? Did I have one too many ambience on the plane? Like, what are you talking about right now? Um, so she, we get to talking, and uh, she told us it was crazy. She's actually never met anybody else in Olomos who'd been to Owensboro before. So this isn't like a normal occurrence. Uh, she'd never met another person who'd been there. Uh, but she had studied abroad here through the Sister Cities program and spent some time in Owensboro, uh, actually living with one of my high school teachers. It was crazy. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> so she tells us this. And so she's just like blown away by this coincidence. Like it's wild. So, I mean, it's a country of nearly 11 million people on the other side of the world. And the lady checking us into our hotel just so happened to study abroad in Owensboro, Kentucky of all places. And when we happened to book the hotel, it was just a random hotel we got on booking.com. We just so happened to book the hotel where she worked. 
And then we just so happened to arrive during her shift while she was working. And, and then we have this meeting and this crazy coincidence. And so she's just blown away by the coincidence. And we say, you know what? I think maybe this isn't a coincidence. Like, I think maybe God has worked some things together to orchestrate this meeting. And so we talked to her a lot that week as we were coming and going out of the hotel. And she said that she had grown up in somewhat of a church background, uh, but she hadn't been to church in years because uh, she moved to Olomos for college and the closest church to there was like four hours away. And so she had never like had much of a, a church experience while she'd been as an adult. And so we were able to connect her with Josh and Marie and Marie was texting with her and they, they uh, built up a friendship. And, and so since then, about a, I guess about a month or so ago, uh, Josh and Marie and their, their team there, they launched the, the new church plant in Olomos. And when they opened, Elise has been there regularly since they started meeting as a church. God really seems to be working in her life. I mean, when you see that, like, what are the odds of that? That's crazy, right? It's not that crazy. Like, it's kind of a faith builder, though, because only God could have planned that. God has ransomed a people from the nations who are just waiting and ready to receive this gospel message. We just have to be faithful to go and then let God do what he promised he's going to do. So who's going to go? Well, maybe you're not called to go. Maybe God is calling you to stay here and to send to others. And I would say, if that's what you prayerfully discern from the Lord, then make sure we're about the work of sending. Like, don't say we're sending and then just live the American dream. Like, God's called us to, to radically and sacrificially work to reach the nations. So, so make sure that, you know, today as you leave, if you go out that door and take a left, there's this new, like, missions wall we put up a few weeks ago. We've got little cards of every single missions partnership and missionary that we have. Grab a few of those and commit to actually supporting our missionaries. Pray for them. It'd be a great thing to do with your kids before bed. Uh, there's email addresses on the back. Shoot them an email. Let them know your family's going to pray for them. Financially support them. Financially support us as a sending church that put money toward reaching the nations. Radically give yourself away through prayer and support to see the gospel go out. So actually be about the work of sending. But as we are here sending, we also have a job to do this year as well. We are called to reach people in our city. This summer, a guy named Matthew, he was at a, a mechanic shop here in Owensboro having his car worked on. Uh, he was just minding his own business. You know, I think they were getting their tires done or something uh, when God intervened. Steve Carlisle just so happened to be there getting his car serviced at the same time. And so they struck up a conversation there in the waiting room as they were waiting for their, their vehicles. And so uh, Steve kind of turned the conversation to spiritual things and, and invited Matthew to come to church. So long story short, that sets into motion a series of events that led to Matthew coming to church, he and his family. They started attending our community group. Um, he was discipled, and eventually he placed his faith in Jesus and was baptized just a few weeks ago. Earlier this year, there were some people from our church uh, that were doing an outreach at one of our local elementary schools during Teachers Appreciation Week. So we were wanting to just go bless teachers and staff at the public schools and show them that we, we love them, we support them, um, but, uh, but also use that as an opportunity to start good conversations to hopefully have an opportunity to share with them about Jesus. And so you know, we're slinging coffee and donuts and getting to, to talk to some of these teachers. And, and one of them shared that her, uh, some of her kids come to our church. They'd recently started attending. And so we, uh, we didn't know them, so, uh, so Hillary and I, we uh, are stalkers, so we hopped on the computer and looked up their address and, um, and saw they live just a couple of houses down from Pastor Josh. So Josh shoots a text message one day, which if you hear the full story, like God just miraculously worked on the timing of this text message. Uh, God, or Josh sends a text message and invites them to come to community group that night. Long story short, again, they come to our community group. Uh, they end up getting discipled. We baptized the husband and wife just a few weeks ago here at Pleasant Valley. 
God is working in amazing ways. I mean, we could go on and on with story after story, but the point is this. Jesus's worth compels us to go, but we can go in confidence knowing that, that Jesus has promised to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so we trust that he's actually gonna do what he said he's gonna do. We just have to be faithful to go, whether that's to the nations or to our neighbors or to the guy at the mechanic shop. Just go in faith and share about Jesus and watch the Lord do what he's promised he's going to do. I think sometimes we get so down about all the negativity that we're constantly surrounded with that we kind of get into this sleepy funk and we, we sometimes miss out on the glories of what God is doing around us every single day. But guys, God is living and he's active and he's working. The message of Revelation 5 is clear. Weep not, behold. Jesus is worthy. Look at what he has done. Look at what he's still doing. God is alive and his spirit is moving in power all around us. We just have to open our eyes to see it. And when we do, he turns our weeping to worship. He brings us together in unity. His worth sends us out on global mission. The scroll is being unsealed and the kingdom is advancing to the ends of the earth. And the best part is, guys, we get to be a part of it. Isn't that amazing? I mean, doesn't that make you want to just wake up and get in the game? I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss out on that this year. I want to be a part of what God is doing in our community and to the ends of the earth in 2024. Guys, let's go. We've got stuff to do. So as the band comes, we're going to close our time together this morning. We're going to look at a few uh, questions for reflection, just to, to think about what God might be calling us into in the new year. I think you know, we sometimes get down on New Year's resolutions, but sometimes these moments can kind of help us really evaluate where we are and some goals that we might want to set for, for things we want to do in the coming year. So as we prepare to step into this new year, let's, let's take a couple minutes with the Lord and just work through a few questions. First, what areas of weeping in my life do I need the Lord to turn to worship? So what is it that you're going through right now? Because I think if we're honest, it's something for all of us, right? What is something that's, that's got you down? What, what's, what's something you're anxious about? What area of difficulty or, or uncertainty is causing weeping that, that you need to be turned to worship? Second, how might you be harboring disunity or bitterness in your heart? So God has ransomed a people, right? A people, a unified, diverse church from all nations. How might you be tearing down the walls that Jesus' blood has torn down? How might you be rebuilding these walls of division that Jesus has given his life to, to remove the separations from? Maybe it's, it's bitterness. Maybe there is a, another Christian that you are refusing to forgive and maybe you feel pretty justified in it, but, but, but Jesus' blood tears down the walls of division. How might you be called to forgive? Maybe it's gossip or, or, or spreading things that are just critical in nature or, or maybe... It's, it's some prejudices or maybe even the sin of racism. Like if, if that shoe doesn't fit, don't wear it. I'm not putting that on you, but, but there might be something there for some of us. So what, what divisions do we have in our heart that are undermining the global mission of God? And finally, where or to who or how are you called to go on mission with the gospel this year? So maybe you're called to, to be sent. Maybe the Lord is kind of stirring something in you and maybe the Lord's calling you to do something kind of crazy. 
Maybe God's calling you to go to the nations. Guys, any job you do here in the States, you can do overseas for the mission of God. We need Christian plumbers in Turkey. We need Christian business people in London. We need people to, to move overseas, to do what they're doing right here in America, but use that as a catalyst to help reach people and fund church plants in global cities. Maybe God's calling you to move your family across the world and do something crazy for his kingdom. Or maybe it's not international. We've got a goal to plant three new churches in the next few years. Maybe God's stirring up within you a call to ministry or a desire to, to, to explore the calling to plant a new church in a city that doesn't have the gospel. We need church planters to go to American cities that are, that are largely unreached, particularly in the Northeast even. I was reading a statistic the other day. There are uh, very huge pockets of lostness in, in the Pacific Northwest, in the Northeast, uh, you know, the Bible Belt, there's a lot of lostness here too, but, but there are places all over the world, that, all over the country that need gospel-centered churches. Maybe God's calling you to move your family and intentionally go to an unreached area to help work and fund a church plant in one of those cities. I mean, could you move your business to Chicago? Maybe. We'll hook you up with a church planner and you can maybe help them in, in, in the mission there. I, I would hate nothing more than to see people from this church leave but I'd also love nothing more than to see people from this church leave for the sake of the gospel. So maybe God's calling you to do that. Or maybe he's calling you to lead a community group or a discipleship group and, and to do some of these things, that, like to hear more stories like we've heard this morning. But I think everybody in this room has this one, and that's that we're called to go to the places that we have already been sent. So if you have a job, God's put you in that job for a reason. Like if you work at Toyota, God has sent you as a missionary to the Toyotans. So, so how might you be able to share the gospel with your coworkers, friends, family, neighbors who need it? So, so as you're praying through these things, we have a ministry team that's going to come forward at this time. They're going to be at the front of the back of the room wearing lanyards uh, that, that you can identify with them with. Uh, if you guys want to go ahead and move to your places, they would love nothing more than to just talk to you and pray with you about anything at all. Maybe it's something these questions have brought out. Maybe it's salvation. Maybe it's just you're going through something and you need somebody to pray for you. Uh, they would love nothing more for you to come and talk to them uh, as we pray together. So let's all just take a second, work through these questions, and then we will end. Well, on that awful night where we were trying to get Link to transition to his toddler bed, after I gave in, I laid down on the floor next to him, and then he finally quit fighting and stayed in his bed. Uh, we were able to calm down and get some semblance of rest. But it was kind of funny. I went back the next morning and uh, looked at the camera that we have in there. We've got a camera to you know, be able to check in on him and watch him do backflips off the wall. Uh, but, uh, but on that camera, it was funny. He was laying there in his bed, and about every three minutes, like clockwork, he'd kind of sit up and lean over, and he'd, he'd reach out, and he'd poke me in the side really hard uh, and, uh, and just check to see that I was still there. He didn't like his new bed. It was, it was uncertain. He, uh, it was new. It was kind of scary very unfamiliar, but as long as he could reach out and, and poke me and, and feel that his father was near, he could get through the night. Maybe God has spoken to you this morning and he's calling you to do something a little bit out of your comfort zone. Something that might be a little bit scary or, or that sounds crazy and you're kind of tempted to think, oh, that was a crazy thought. I'm gonna put that aside and never talk about it to anybody. 
Guys, don't let fear keep you from God's call on your life. Whatever it is, take comfort in the fact that your heavenly father is with you, but he's not just laying in the floor next to your toddler bed to comfort you when you reach out to grab him and make sure he's still there. No, no, yes, God is with you in the darkness, but he's reigning in power. He's on that throne and he's empowering you through the Holy Spirit. So we have hope that no matter what comes at us in this next year, we can persevere and we can step into some scary, uncertain callings because Jesus is worthy and nothing can separate us from him and his glory that is going to be revealed. He is with you until the end. And so in light of that, at this time, let's all stand together. And we're gonna get a foretaste of that day in Revelation 5 where we see all of creation singing those songs as we sing together the worth of Jesus. Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc.